Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Coming up in this edition of TV Black Box, TV is back as viewers gather around the box to watch the Queen's funeral. Nine grinds the axe and cancels some very big shows. And the big question Channel 7 doesn't want anyone to ask. Welcome to the podcast where people in the industry get their news. This is TV Black Box. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This is TV Black Box, bringing you the inside goss from the TV industry. Hello, I'm Rob McKnight. I'll introduce the panel in just a wee moment. But it was during this week in television history, and yes, I said wee moment, that we first saw those iconic red swimmers running in slow motion on the beach. Thirty-three years ago in 1989, Baywatch premiered on our screens. It was axed by NBC after its first season before being revived by The Hoff and the show's creators who believed in its potential despite low ratings and negative reviews. It would then go on to at one point become the most watched television series in the world with an estimated 1.1 billion people tuning in each week. With an estimated 1.1 billion people tuning in each week. The lifeguards even made it down to Australia with two episodes of Baywatch Down Under, which our special guest tonight knows all about. I'll bring her in in just a moment. But first, tonight on the panel, we have the viewer's advocate. He's back from the nine upfronts. Hello, Mog. Hello, Rob. Little known fact about Baywatch, that is up until Married at First Sight took the mantle, it was the TV show where the most of the cast had appeared nude otherwise. <laughs> ah, <laughs> I like that time. Um... What I didn't realise, Malkus and Aussie, was that mm. Baywatch was a syndicated show in America, so it actually had no big broadcast home. That's a phenomenal result for a show without the backing of a major network. Oh, huge and great faith, uh, you know, shown by uh, the Hoff and the, the creators to see that it was a show that really had some potential. I don't think even they were prepared for the potential that it had, given how it went on to no. shape popular culture of the time. Mm. Well, also joining us tonight is TV Black Box contributor Matthew Simmons. Hello, Matthew. Hello, and I can exclusively reveal that TV Black Box sent zero people to London for the Queen's (laughs) funeral. Wow. (laughs) We'll get to that in a moment. But also we have in tonight the man who knows where the bodies are buried. He's probably put a few there himself. It's Philip Koch. Hello, the freelance tabloid writer. Hello, Philip. Hi, Rob. How you go- How are you going? You've survived the Queen's sad funeral, long oh, funeral. It was very sad watching it, but we will talk about that in a moment because I've really got to talk about, we're talking Baywatch. How can we talk Baywatch and how the planets have aligned? Because our special guest tonight is none other 
than Tenya Zayeda. Hello, Tenya. Slow-mo running as you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. I rehearsed that very well. Uh, you were, of course, in Baywatch Down Under. I mean, you've done a lot of other things, which I'll talk about in a moment, but um, Baywatch is one of those pinch-me moments, isn't it? Oh, absolutely pinch-me moment. You know, And, you know, the man who's interviewed me many times about that is Mr Phil Kosh himself <laughs> right here. <laughs> We've had a few years of, of interviews together throughout my career. Baywatch was definitely a pinch me moment, Rob. Mm. Um, you, you know, I can't wait till my twins who just turned four are a little bit older to understand the enormity of mummy being in a show like that, that at the time was considered the most watched TV mm. show on the planet. Yeah. Mm. And and what was it like working with the Hoff? Because, you know, he was an actor. He became yeah. big. He invested in his own... Pro- I think I was reading that he bought the old episodes and the rides back for 100 bucks from NBC after they exited after the first season, and he was always big in Germany. What was it like working mm, with the man mm. who believes his own legend? Well, for all for all the kind of flack that he cops, the Hoff to me is is probably one of the greatest PR marketing machines uh, mm. that you've ever seen. His mind goes a million miles an hour. He does not stop. Um, and I recently did another show, Celebrity Apprentice, a mm. few years ago with the Hoff. So we've done a couple mm. of shows together and stayed in touch. You know, kind of here. He must have been bit. thrilled when but, he saw you. Oh, he had no. He didn't remember. Oh, really? he had no idea. <laughs> Sorry, I refuse to believe there's a person on the planet that does not remember meeting Tanya Zayeda. Hey, just because you've been on the show that's the most watched show on the planet doesn't mean that people actually remember you for that particular show. They remember Pamela Anderson and a few others. But it wasn't until, you know, I'd actually kind of said... Uh, you know, he kind of went, oh, looked at me strangely the first time that we'd re-met again. And, uh, and I said, oh, look, I know that you've had thousands of people on mm. your show on Baywatch. I was on, you know, Baywatch Down Under. And then he kind of went, oh, okay, yeah. He's very polite. He was probably concerned that you were like a long-lost kid that he didn't know about. <laughs> <laughs> probably. <laughs> no. Allegedly. Hey, look, he's, when you, to answer your question, though, um, I have the utmost respect for the man. And, yes, you are correct correct because I did get to spend a lot of time the whole cast spent a lot of time um the Australian cast with David now he didn't exclude us at all and at the oh. time it was the biggest biggest show in the world he could have just gone off and done mm-hmm. his own megastar thing but he included not only his American cast that he bought out but also us Australian cast in absolutely everything that he did from if he was invited to a dinner in a restaurant we all went wow. when his best mate um from oh god you know one of the big rock bands that came out he's, he said come along he took all of us along and took all of us backstage so we did i did get to spend a lot of time with him and yes you are correct he actually took with um greg bonin who who kind of produced the show the executive producer of baywatch they took you know the the cd or the dvd of baywatch around themselves funded by themselves on every plane in every country and sold it i love that um so that's yeah so that's how um it became so big and even watching and working with david we always made jokes that we've ever a fan came up to David, his personal assistant was right next to him, pulled out those fan cards straight away. Even <laughs> if the person didn't ask, David the Hoff was already signing a card, a photo card and giving it. it, you know, straight to him. But, you look, he's survived the test of time mm. and he's um, had enormous success that many people in the industry will never have. Mm. I, I, It's funny. I didn't know that story until mm. today, literally, because I was talking about Baywatch with Abby, our producer, and I, I just Googled something. Um, and then read this fact about the way it was a syndicated show. Um, mm. I, I deeply respect it. So everything that man has achieved, good on him, because 
that kind of success has not come easy. It doesn't come easy. And he made it work. Um, but of course, can I just say, you know, you've appeared in Dancing with the Stars, you've gone huge, we all got to know you at one point as being the big Bollywood star, but Tanya, I still love you from Who Dares Wins. And of course, we all remember your many appearances on Studio 10, which people are still talking about to this day. That's up there with the best of the best. (laughs) But Uh, Rob, Who Dares Wins, greatest show, to me, that's the greatest show that that has been done, you know, in, in a long, long time. It's actually the 25th anniversary of Who Dares Wins at the moment. Mike Whitney and I, Mike Whitney and I, are great friends. Um, 25 years of working together, not just in Australia, but then we were also taken into India multiple times to film different versions of Who Dares Wins in India um, via um, ESPN network out of the states, and so. We um, have worked together for a long time, been great friends for a long time, and are doing some stuff for the 25th anniversary even now. I think that's great. Great. I will say the thing that surprises me the most, Tanya, is that that it hasn't been brought back. You know, it is is a brand name that is so recognisable, and with the budgets they now have reality shows for, because I know, you know, let's be honest, it was an Australian production that didn't, like any Australian production, it's not like it had the American money and all that kind of stuff, but Mm -hmm. we spend millions of dollars on reality formats now. Imagine Who Dares Wins with millions of dollars behind it, being able to make that show Mm. now where you can throw people off bridges and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) It's hard sometimes to watch the reality shows that are broadcast these days because um, I sit there and, you know, my partner Chris is just always kind of rolling his eyes at me because I roll my eyes and go, gosh, (laughs) we did that 25 years ago through someone off that exact mountain. But it's true. We did that 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So if you go back 25 years ago when most of the girls in TV, were dressed in a dress in a studio, Wheel of Fortune, Sale of the Centuries, mm-hmm, yeah. holding their hand out, you know, to, for a product shot type thing. It's a Who new Dares car. Wins was, yeah, Who Dares Wins was a new car. It was the first time ever that not only had a chick, a girl, being taken out of a studio um, and just put in denim mm. shorts and a T-shirt and kind of like, okay, jump off a building if you can, if you can't, whatever, it's your mm. decision. Let's see how this show works out. And a lot of the time, although the two uh, guys who created Who Dares Wins, David Mason and Adrian Brandt, who I'm still very close with now with working in so many countries together, um, they they had the premise of the show, but no one really knew how it was going to unfold mm. until we got out and started filming it. Would the girl do the dare or not should mm. she do the dare or not should we have the man do the dare or not how would this unfold which was the drama and so which was the drama so they um they kind of swung it over to us and i remember the very first time that i did one of the dares on who dares win who dares wins it was solely um in the pilots that we were shooting because the man the big chucky guy froze at the last minute and couldn't jump off the rest point casino in Tasmania in Australia's biggest flying fox. So I remember Adrian Brandt turned to me and said, I don't have a segment. No, you're going to have to do it. There's no segment. He pulled me aside and said, it's not in your job description (laughs) and you don't get any extra money if you do this. But if you can sit on the edge of the rest point casino and give me three more minutes of footage so I've got a segment, (laughs) then, you know, we'll we'll all be in the good book. So I sat on the edge. There was no way I was going to jump off, but I just kind of gave a bit of my best shot. The rigger actually helped and pushed me off a little bit. And there they filmed me doing 80 kilometres an hour Mm. in Australia's biggest flying fox. That's a negotiation right there. That's what that is. Um, I still didn't get paid anymore. The, the initial concept, Tanya, was that you were never going to do the dares, right? That wasn't part yeah, of the package. Ex- 
That's right. It wasn't part of the package to do the dares. So suddenly we had a whole new show on our hands. And then, as you know, Koshi, from talking to Mike Whitney, that um, as the seasons unfolded and the show was just enormous, was you know, we we launched Sunday night primetime, 7.30. Mm, mm. Um, it was only up and up from there. So suddenly you've gone from, oh, maybe someone might recognise me for the show that I've just started to, oh, my God, I hope somebody doesn't recognise me mm. so I can just quickly put petrol in the car. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, who I spoke to not so long ago, told me that he still, it slightly annoys him that every conversation starts with, so what's Tanya's Adela? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Phil, I've been meaning to ask, like what's Tanya's Adela? <laughs> so anyway, the Mike Whitney then, we had to kind of, after two, got two years on air, I think it was, go back. And Mike was copying so much flack on the street. You know, he's a big kind of six foot five cricketer, very yeah. famous cricketer, um, because he wasn't doing them. And people would actually just, you know, yell out in the car while he had his kids in the car, you know, oh, you big wuss, why do you get the girls to do it? Why can't you do it? You know, what's wrong with you? Grow a pair, grow a pair, you know. So we had to go back and then let Mike do a few of the, <laughs> the big dares. Now, it was from by no means that he was scared, but, you know, really on TV, who wants to see a big strong man jump off a building and no. would you rather see a terrified That was the magic girl? of it. That mm. was absolutely the magic of having you do it and it's weird to think that it wasn't part of the concept for the show. It just mm. happened by accident but it was a huge part of the show. Now, I know you're always doing a million things. I, I love your tenacity. You are a little bit like the Hoff. You've always got something on the boil. You're always doing something. I love that. Busy, busy. Um but I, I, it was interesting. I was having a look around today. I knew you were coming on, and I, I know your history pretty well, but I see that you're doing this. Um, you're the, you've just been announced as the face of Asada. But this is a mineral makeup and clinical skincare, but this has got a little bit of a difference in the way that they manufacture it, doesn't it? Well, yes, it's all natural um, and, you know, it's so it's minerals from the earth and that's how the makeup is made. So the colours come from the earth pretty much. So there's no need to have synthetics, um, um, you know, ingredients that are bad for your skin. And I love that this brand, Isada, have a skincare range that is very active, which means that as a woman you can buy it in a salon um, and they will help you, you know, with your skin type and you actually see results mm. rather than just to kind of feel good on your skin. And then that branches and transforms into the makeup range, which is beautiful. So they've had quite an iconic um, brush range and they've been about for about 22 years. So it's not a new company, but um, a lady has, um, Deb Farmworth Wood has recently taken it over um, out of the Gold Coast and signed me on as the brand ambassador in the face. And we've got some fab campaigns um, coming out and I'm sharing all of my tips, most importantly too, for women over 40 when it comes to makeup and skincare. Well, I've got to say you are... This is an audio podcast, but you're looking pretty fabulous tonight. So I don't know if you've got oh. those that makeup on or whether you're going on. Natural, I do where I'm wearing a You Asada. look fabulous. It's called Asada. I was going to ask if you'd had a little bit of work, Tanya. Oh, shut up, Phil. <laughs> it's called Asada. It's I double S A D A. If you want to Google it, Tanya, we are thrilled. I'm genuinely thrilled to have you here tonight. So thank you for joining us on TV Black Box. Look forward Thanks, to hearing Thanks, your everyone. views on the TV topics of the week. Absolutely. All right, let's get into it. Did you watch the Queen's funeral? Well, the results are in, and if you didn't, it would seem you're in the mon minority. More than 4 million people tuned into the Aussie coverage of the blockbuster event on Monday night. That's according to overnight ratings. Of the top 20 programs for the night, coverage of the Queen's funeral or news bulletins filled the entire group. That's with only one exception. Have you been paying attention? 
Ten decided to give viewers a point of difference on the main channel, relegating the funeral to a multi-channel. While the Tom Gleisner-led show raked in 324,000 viewers, that's down significantly on their usual ratings, their 7.30 offering of The Amazing Race was nowhere even close. Despite the stunning rating success across the board for this moment in history, TV viewers have equally criticised the ABC for sending 27 staff to London as they raced to cover the Queen's death. So there's two stories here we need to talk about. One is, did 10 make a good decision in doing alternative program? The argument being that um, for news, people don't traditionally go to 10. They go to 9, 7, the ABC. Mm. So is, was it a smart move alternating it? And the other one is how many people the ABC sent to London. Mulk, let's start with you. Yep. What did you think of 10's strategy of going against what everyone else was doing? I want to applaud 10 for trying to encourage people to change over to one of their multi-channels that everybody has access to. Like, uh, it, it's it's 2020, Channel 10 is one thing, 10 bold, 10 peach. They're all the same. Like, there's no... We shouldn't be seeing them as lesser channels. Has but we do. Has been my argument. But the catch is that they program the multi-channels as lesser channels. Correct. So, of course, they're going to get treated as lesser channels. That's a really it's, good point, Mark, because... They have trained us to think of them as lesser channels because they don't treat them with the importance of a main channel. Seven, nine, and ten, all of them do that. Um, as far as ten uh, going for an alternate programming strategy on their primary channel, it's spectacularly backfired. Like, uh, the, the Amazing Race, 185,000, five-city metro. Um, I think that's yeah. close to a third of what it was pulling last week. Um, Catch-up numbers having, will be interesting. Yeah, look, it really will, and I think that will boost it. But, you know, again, you're coming off a, a low base, and have you been paying attention was nearly half what it was the week before. They really were thrown to the wolves in that regard. We knew that everyone was going to watch the funeral. I mean, even SBS made a late change and turned their primary channel into funeral time. They yeah. gave us 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock, here's the funeral and the bit after. Done. To be frank, that's all 10 needed to do was just go, here it is. You can watch it here. And you know what? We They probably would have got better figures by pushing Amazing Race and Have You Been Paying Attention over to 10 Bold and letting it play out there rather than doing what they did and, and mixing it up. But, I mm, mean, 2020 is what it is. I mean, it, this is the challenge, Rob. Um, should they have just ditched it for the week? Probably. Good on them for trying something. I think all it's reinforced is that at least for the 10 network, nobody cares about anything but 10 when they tune in. Yeah. And and people don't go to 10 for news events because they've trained us not to. Not um, like we're used to, that's for sure. Yeah. Philip, I know you've watched a lot of the coverage over the past week. Uh, it was interesting watching the funeral last night. Uh, I, I think all the networks have been doing a superb job over the week. Uh, and a bit since they've been there. I've got to say, for me, the star player in all this coverage is Channel 7's Hugh Whitfield. He knows every bit of royal history and um, protocol, and the guy has just is an encyclopedia of knowledge when it comes to what's going on. He's been a he's been fantastic. Yeah, look, he is amazing. I, I just couldn't watch the Channel 7 funeral coverage because of, they called it the, the grateful goodbye, oh, goodbye, and it just oh. made me squirm. I just thought... It's a really momentous occasion. You don't need to gimmick it up. 
So that irritated mm. me, and you know, just call it what it is—the funeral just, of Her Majesty yes, the Queen. So I, I was flicking between nine and seven. Look, there are a few. And, and some viewers didn't like the spinning seven logo every five seconds, which I know is what they do in their news bulletin. Mm. So mm. that's a hangover from that. But they actually said, "I didn't. I knew I was on seven. I didn't need to be reminded every five seconds." That was some feedback I saw today. Mm, I saw that. Well, I know, I know Tracy got a lot of press for crying after viewing the coffin. Uh if it was somebody else, it probably would have annoyed me and I would have wondered whether it was real. But it just showed me how much we're going to miss Tracy Grimshaw because mm. I felt very reassured to hear her voice. I didn't question her level of emotion at all because she does come across as real. Uh, so that was one of the highlights for me. Yeah. I thought Carl and Ali did a great job. The ABC were very, you know, that, that BBC coverage that they took was you know, a little bit icky, I thought. It was just, you know, it's designed for a British audience, you know. They were just so obsequious that it sort of irritated me a little bit. Um, (laughs) And yet it was the one that people tuned into most. I think you know what you're getting, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Everybody else is a wannabe in a way. Um, The ABC, the BBC, they're the trusted sources of, you know, these momentous royal occasions. The thing that I really enjoyed, Rob, was how the commercial network so seamlessly integrated sports bet ads, just so that we knew what the odds were of you know Charles dropping off during the ceremony and stuff. Tanya, moving on yes. with that. Um, one of the criticisms that was first printed in Crikey and then repeated on news.com.au and I think maybe some other News Corp uh, outlets was that Outrageous! The ABC sent uh-huh. 27 people over to London and some mm-hmm. even flew business class. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Talk. No. I was so proud when I saw that. I didn't think anyone was allowed to anymore in this media day and age. Well, that's the thing. Talk about the biggest non-story of the year. Um, you know, I've yeah. slapped the ABC down many times for things they've done. But the idea that they went and have done over a week's worth of coverage with 27 people, and you've got to remember what it takes to do TV. It's not like print where you can just watch the TV feed and write mm, a story. Mm. You need people on the ground to give you context to also mm. present it and have television is a visual medium. Of course mm. you need people there. And you're expecting presenters to fly to London get off a plane and start working straight away. But you want them to look disheveled and haggard after flying economy (laughs) for 23 hours. Oh, and radio, Rob. Let's not forget that they also had radio people there doing the same for radio. So it's not like it was just like a Channel 7, Channel 9, Channel 10 presenter, here's us on TV. Yes. it's We're also filing stories for ABC Local Radio and, and uh, Radio National. To me, the ABC were damned if they did not damned if they yeah, didn't. You know, I'm not sure if they, they – it was a lose-lose predicament for them. They either didn't send enough, didn't do enough coverage, or they did too much coverage and then everyone was kind of over it. So they had to find a, a, for themselves a happy medium somewhere. Um, I don't think that anyone could, could do too much coverage of this because every network has done the same mm. amount apart from – Channel 10 that we just said. Um, and it was one, it's one of those occasions where it is a huge moment in history and they had to throw the best of the best and throw everything at it. That's that's what you, we do in mm. the media. You get the call, you're on a plane and you go. And yes, business class is an 
must and i have done that flight to london many times and expected to get off the plane yep. and go and do shoots or film a tv show straight mm. away and you're like oh, my eyes aren't even open in the makeup chair but you just do it so yes business class is important for a bit of sleep but i think the main thing is should they have sent that many people over i think sure why not are we expected to believe that seven and nine didn't do the same thing they spent they sent more here's the thing but not even that not even the people like this complaint about business class like it's some super uber duper thing no, because it's no on the public question. person. That's the difference. That's Mate. why people get up in arms. But sure. here's the thing, uh, and to wrap this up, that it's 27 people, including the on-air presenters, which also includes radio people who are doing packages and the things like that. And let me tell you from a local perspective, if you think it's easy to get local talent for your radio shows at Oof. midday for Australian audiences think again by having your own people on the ground it means you can actually get content and get a, a sense of what's actually happening on the yeah, ground yeah. and secondly yeah, you've got makeup artists you've got auto cue operators you've got producers you've got the cameraman you've got the sound people anyone who sits there and dares thinks for one moment that 27 people to cover a two-week event overseas is excessive has not worked in the media and their opinion on this <laughs> cannot be counted because they haven't got a bloody clue on what they're talking about and anyone who's gobbling this up does not know television or the media either. You're all idiots. I think every person in the UK that even thought about working in the media was working for the last <laughs> two weeks, right? There was exactly. Every network in the world had people on the ground. So you've got to bring people in to do it yourself. Make no mistake. The newspapers and magazines threw everything at it. This is not yes. a situation where yes. you're, you're running your eye over a budget. It's just... Get out there, do get it. me the best story. We're going to do the best job possible mm. and we'll figure it out later. That's- There's no second chances no. at this one. Correct. There's no reshoots. And, and what event is bigger than the Queen's death? Exactly. Biggest news story in the world. Yeah, absolutely. All right, last week we spoke about the nine upfronts and went through the exciting shows returning to the network. But what about those that were missing from the presentation? Well, among the programs confirmed to not be coming back are Australian Ninja Warrior, Celebrity Apprentice Australia, Beauty and the Geek Australia, Behind Bars and The Weakest Link. Matthew, this was a good pick-up by Kevin Perry who confirmed all this on the TV Black Box website. Um, I I think Australian Ninja Warrior may be a bit of a surprise. I mean, we've got Tanya here. Mm. Who Dares Wins would be a great replacement. Ninja Warrior. I bet you do. (laughs) Um, Outside Ninja Warrior, no real surprises. None of those were crackers. And even Ninja Warrior had lost the glean this year. Yeah, I mean, well, Ninja Warrior, I think, was known when it started to, like, it drew, like, a huge number, Mm. over a million or whatever. So that's was that was surprising for that back then but like now like it seemed to just kind of fall off the boil a bit yeah i'm not surprised by any of these other shows either none of them i believe might you'd be able to confirm but none of them are doing great in ratings to be like what the hell are you getting rid of married at first sight for like that nothing like that i think the (laughs) only one that i guess only (laughs) fingers crossed get rid of it um, the only one I think that I may, may have caught other people by surprise was the Australia Behind Bars. It seemed there was a bit of interest in that. So um, I think I don't think they have... But it didn't rate, did it? 
good. I it got know, shunted it... around in the schedule a little bit too right. much. Right. That's usually that, because I it enjoyed wasn't that. Raining. I did enjoy watching that one. It, it I could liked have been because it wasn't raining, and, and I enjoyed it, as did my wife, Tanya. Uh, in part, mm. I think it was the Mel Doyle attraction for my wife. She's a, a big mm. fan. We all are here at our house. So, And it was interesting to have Mel, and a great coup, quite frankly, to have her, even though she's a free agent from Seven, I acknowledge that, to have her pop up on Nine didn't hurt. It was, wasn't no, a bad thing. No, that was fun. That was yeah, fun yeah. and and got her on the Today Show, created moments. Yep. It was actually well played. Sorry, I've got to ask this question. Yeah. Has um, has This Is Your Life finished now? Because I haven't seen an episode. Oh, dude. Oh, No, it it's still going. Yeah, they did run one <laughs> oh. episode prior to the Commonwealth Games. The official word from Melissa Doyle on her Instagram is that they are still filming and there's more to come. Um, oh, so they ran the Ian Thorpe one and that was it? They rushed the Ian Thorpe one. Could you tell? They rushed the Ian Thorpe one in for the Com Games and that was it. They haven't. Ah. They didn't have any others in the can. Okay. Well, and... Okay, that'll be interesting. I'm killing it before um, it starts. As a mother, as a mother, I'm very as a like a lot. I'm saying that now. As a mother, <laughs> as a mother, as a working mother of, of, of four years, as a very busy working mum, exactly. Yes, um, life is a constant juggle, but we manage it on no sleep all the time. I will miss um, Ninja Warrior. There's a few reasons that I really love that as a show, and I'm disappointed in nine that that's not um, that that's on a, a hiatus. It's not hasn't been axed. It's just on a Nothing's hiatus. Nothing's ever axed these days. No, nothing ever. You know, even Who Dares Wins was never. Well, it's it still wasn't on axed. hiatus. We did go on a hiatus, <laughs> and they showed the repeats for 15 years, so it kept me 24 for about 30 years. Amazing. Got their money out of that show. I'm still I'm still you're 24. You're only 26 now, Tanya. So you're doing great. <laughs> Too kind. But look, yeah, going back, Ninja Warrior. Um, I really love. I I think it's a, I did. It was a great family show. Um, it was a show that wasn't like a family show for that time slot. Wasn't about any bad, any negative. There was no editing to make anyone look foolish. Mm. And that's what Mike Whitney and I would pride ourselves on to this day about Who Dares Wins mm. is we never made anyone look foolish, no matter how big a, you know, beer can crushing on their forehead trucky they were. If they couldn't do the dare, they still got a big hug from me yeah. and they got all the praise on the yeah. show for at least you gave it a shot. Yeah. So that's the kind of values that mm. I'm instilling in my children. So I enjoyed watching Ninja Warrior with them so much so, in fact, that where we live on the Mornington Peninsula, three of the winners of Ninja Warrior are my children's uh, kinder gym trainers. Nice. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they, they all come from the, the golfer one with the ginger hair and the glasses. Oh, so Yeah, nice. yeah, all the winners. So the winners from Ninja all come from one particular gym that my kids go to. So I thought it was promoting outdoor activities and not um, bitchiness, nastiness and negativity like some other shows that they've cut. Which is great. But, Mog, it just felt same, same year after year. Yeah. We, we had me to host it. Well, I would have hosted <laughs> that yes. one. I, I, was, I would have done it. I was about to offer that, that for all of the other programs, it really was diminishing returns. They had yeah. done their time and, and Australia Behind Bars as a new series didn't really rate but also didn't really get a chance to rate. Mm. The, the writing was on the wall for Ninja Warrior with the change in hosts. Um, I think that as much as yes. we might love Jim Courier and Layla McKinnon, that was like not they were not the right people for that gig. So RIP Ninja Warrior. Um actually really interesting thing to pick up at just while we're talking up fronts, Rob. Um Tanya, you must have some inside knowledge for the ABC. They've got they haven't yet announced the date for their upfronts, but they have uh released that their tagline, like what was Nine's upfront tagline? Um Australia belongs here, wasn't it? Yeah. I think, if I can mm. remember correctly. The ABC's um twenty twenty three um tagline is damned if we do, damned if we don't. 
Oh, no way. I'm kidding. It's fine. Yeah. It was oh. a joke. Oh. <laughs> I was going to oh say, if you God. want your goss, come to me. Now you make me really feel like a working mum because I believe that for a millisecond. Well, that was a long stretch and I wasn't, you know, you took us on a journey and I think I needed to sit down and have a cup you of tea halfway me. through. Knocked it out of the park, friends. Well, I'm just muting you. How do you mute on this? <laughs> Who are you wearing? It's a famous question on red carpets before high fashion events, and one would think the AFL Brownlow medal ceremony would be no different. It is a perfect chance to showcase the designer behind your attire, of course. But the fashion question was a no-go zone at the Brownlow this year, with red carpet hosts Emma Friedman and Dale Thomas being told that any such questions about formal dress were banned. Tanya, you've been on <laughs> a lot of red carpets. I've been on a couple. Yeah, I'm I've been, sure. Uh, yes, yeah. And the brown lows, actually, too, I have. Right. Yes. Do you mm. want to be asked who you're wearing or do you find that absolutely outrageous? How dare you demean me as a woman because you dare ask me who I'm wearing, this free dress well, that I got because I'm promoting their product? You've got to push them. That's right, Rob. There's two parts uh, uh, for me to answer on that one um, is that, yes, I personally like being asked who I'm wearing because I've worked with a designer and I want to help and promote mm, that yeah. designer. But I'm in the industry of walking red carpets, whereas the footballers and the footballers' wives, some of the young ones might enjoy the red carpet aspect and go into all that trouble. But mostly the women behind the athletes at the Brownlow are there just to support their guys. And I think it adds a lot of pressure to them and a lot of them feel very uncomfortable about having to kind of, you know, completely glam up and go to all the trouble of a start. Now, these young girls are getting stuck, never walked the red carpet before, some of them, stylists, makeup mm. artists, hairstylists. They're spending, or their husbands or partners are spending a couple <laughs> of thousand dollars just to go to that one event to get in that right outfit. So, in my industry, yes, I don't mind it, but I don't. I agree that they have taken away asking all of the partners of the footballers, so it takes some of the pressure off all of the women and the wives and the, the wags, and puts a little bit of the spotlight back on the men. Do you know what? If they're athletes, you, you could abilities. just say Emma Freeman knows fashion, right? Emma Freeman knows mm. fashion, so mm. why can't you just say to her, just be careful who you ask the question for? But having said that. I would love it if a wag walked up and said, came out, doll. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> Suzanne Gray. Yes. You know, yes. <laughs> like that would be a moment. This whole thing? It's been in my cupboard since my wedding day a long time ago. <laughs> exactly. I dyed my wedding dress I black. This idea <laughs> that we shouldn't ask people what they're wearing, and ask men as well if you want. I, I'd love to tell people what suit I'm wearing. No one's ever asked me in my life. But isn't it more the fact that the whole of the media coverage and the front page of the page is never about the person who, of the paper? It's not about who won the Brownlow. It's about who had the Correct. best dress on. So that's what I mean about taking it away from the athletes, mm. their abilities, oh. and what the show and the Brownlow is all about. Oh, it's about dresses, Come on. Rob. Oh, the winner gets I a lot of publicity, but it's like the Logies, Tanya, where you find mm. it, you know who won the gold Logie and you know who had a fashion boo boo on the red carpet or a fashion wow wow. I'll just listen. And you turn off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speculation has been rife about exactly what we can expect from the new super ad-supported model on Netflix. And tech website EFTM has now confirmed those details. The ads will be between 15 and 30 seconds and happen both before and in the middle of shows. And unlike YouTube, they will not be able to be skipped. The rollout could happen as soon as November 1 in Australia, but will only affect those who choose the cheaper price point with existing subscriptions remaining ad-free. Matthew, 30-second ads, three times? That sounds pretty reasonable to me. 
Oh, I think yeah. If you if you if you're new to it, I I, I could see like an older couple, or someone who's got like older parents saying, "Oh, look, this is Netflix. Like, there's introducing the streaming world. There's some ads. You just need the cheaper option." I could see that happening. Still less anyone than TV. Well, yes, true. The same ad three times, Rob, or three different ads for thirty seconds. Yeah, that's a good. Point. Well, it's Netflix, so let's assume that they'll have a proper different sales ads. team that will oh. have different ads. Straight away, they're doing better than SBS On Demand. But you can pay to upgrade. Yeah, you can You can have the premium where you get no ads. This is a mm. cheaper model tenure for getting mm. people onto Netflix. So they're saying, all right, you don't pay the mm. 14 bucks or whatever Netflix is these days. You'll pay $8, but for the $8 tier, you have to watch put up ad. with ads. Mm. Mm. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, I'm a huge Netflix watcher. So mm. the, the problem with Netflix, I think, that they've experienced in the last year is that they've lost subscribers. And I don't know whether anyone that has unsubscribed will then be like, okay, if it's a bit cheaper and I watch some ads, I'll go watch it. The it's reason content. why they un- But the reason why they unsubscribed was because of the content. They mm. weren't happy with the content being displayed. Yeah. So I do also think there's an argument to be made that Netflix needs to also focus on making great content and putting it out at a decent time. Oh, look, I couldn't disagree more, Matthew. I think that Netflix give us a ton of content. Some of it is great and some of it is not so hot. I totally agree with that. Um, I think the bigger reason that people are switching off is the cost. And this ad-supported tier, this new cheapest tier that they're introducing um, is in part there and all of the other streaming services are looking at planning to or thinking about doing the same thing. This is trying to deal with that. I mean, we're seeing just in our country the impact around inflation and the understanding that, you know, wages haven't gone up, all of the great financial things that I don't properly understand. What it means is that people have less money to spend on relaxation and fun things. And funnily enough, that's things like Netflix. So a cheaper tier will provide Netflix a bigger opportunity to, dare I say it, repenetrate the market into those that have unsubscribed or those that were reticent to subscribe because of that cost. Couple that also with their um, uh, trial. I think it is still yet to properly land, but the shared login five-buck deal that they're looking at throwing at us mm-hmm. to stop people sharing their accounts uh, willy-nilly. Uh, understandably, as a business, they're trying to lock that away. This was a great pickup by um, Trevor Long from EFTM, Rob. It's information that everyone has been wanting to hear. Yeah, it was a great get. Um, I think I think while you're right in a lot of parts, I think there is a content issue on Netflix at the moment where it feels like um, – Whenever I pop on Netflix, I'm always struggling to find something to watch. Having said that, Heartbreak High is on there now, and we'll talk about that in Binge Box. But um, mm. I don't know. I, I think I think there is maybe price point, sure, but I think content as well. Look, we're warned about coarse language, sexual references, and drug use, but could lack of consent be the new classification on our screens? After research showed 57% of Australians are unable to recognise non-consensual acts in film and TV shows, an advocacy group called Consent Labs are campaigning for just that. The group has emphasised they're not seeking to censor this media, but rather educate Australians on what is and isn't content. They claim non-consensual acts are often romanticised or played off for laughs, but this perpetuates and normalises lack of consent in real life. Phil, I have this vision. I sit down with my cup of tea to watch a TV show. I Uh get the welcome to country. I get the this show contains drug references, sexual references, violence. I get the this show was filmed at a time with different values to those in 2022. And now I get a this 
TV show represents uh, lack of consent. I feel like it's going to be like seven-minute credits before the film like we have <laughs> yeah. at the start of a film, and I'll have finished my cup of tea before I actually get to watch the show. <laughs> well, I think most of the world will just be fast-forwarding through all of that, won't they? So really, who cares? Skip intro. Yeah, skip, skip intro. intro. Skip intro. Uh, look, perhaps it's helpful for parents. I don't know. Um, is it really that hard to understand when there's a lack of consent in film or TV in a, in a fictional setting? I, I, I presume some people could get confused and it could send out the wrong message. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure commercial TV and movies uh, is about education, to be honest. I think I think there are other facilities to do it. I have to uh, agree with you just on there on that one too, Phil. You know, if you sit down to watch a movie or a TV show, you know, you, you kind of have a bit of an understanding of what may unfold in it, whether it's a family-friendly watch or, you know, whether it's one that you want to even watch with your mum and dad in the room or not. So a little bit of common sense prevails. Well, we get drug warnings. We get warnings if there's drug use or uh, nudity or anything else like that. Does it matter if there's a content? I mean, I took the piss about the number of warnings we're getting at the moment, Mm -hmm. but it's funny. I had a big discussion with super producer Abby before this and she showed me a scene from The Devil Wears Prada that Mm. is um, mentioned in this article I've got to say I watched it and I think it's more ambiguous than how the article made it out to be because, yes, she's saying no. She's had a few drinks. She, he kisses her. She's sort of saying, no, I've only just met you. I've only just spoken up sort with of? my boyfriend. And he kisses her again, but she kisses him back. And so, yes, she's pulling away, but she's kissing as well. And so the argument is that it is a, it is a lack of consent. And it absolutely is because she it, she has verbalised no, but it's also a little tricky in the fact that she's kissing back, she's partaking. So it comes back to that: what is consent? Mm. And who decides it? And well, I think it. the keyword the keyword in the story really is educate. And I think yes, okay, you've got this group that wants to do this, but there needs to be better education from the start. And I know... But that's not the job of TV, like Phil said. Exactly, and and that's exactly what I'm saying, is being the youngest one on this panel (laughs) and going to school most recently, even I wasn't taught consent as to what I think it probably should be. So I I just think it needs to start from the beginning, and if, if, if the warning is what it takes on TV to just get us through, then fine, until we shift bigger focus um, in our educational levels from That's a young age. That's really interesting. I really respect that you've just said that and I'm going to f- almost flip my <laughs> point of view solely from what you've said because if you, who, as you say, the youngest on the panel right now, who has probably most recently finished school, if that's how you're feeling, mm. that you actually still need to know where the boundaries are, then maybe we do need the consent rating. It's really important um, what what Matthew said, and, and, and Tanya, it's interesting to hear your response and change in that. Consent is has been a, somewhat of a buzzword, let's call it that, um, in general kind of conversation with young people, particularly at school over the last few years, because we've seen lots and lots of examples of particularly young men treating women really, really poorly. Mm. Um, not, you know, the, the idea that, we, we, we've done really well, I think, in educating our young people that their body is their own and that you know, they're in charge of the bits of it and all of the things that go around it, and that's great. The difficulty is that as they've then grown up and you know start to have goo-goo eyes for someone that they feel warm in the tummy about, um, we haven't done well in helping them understand that your body is still your own and you get to have a say whether or not 
anything then goes on, this notion of consent. And I think particularly now, and it is a bit of a pendulum, Rob, I, I appreciate, swinging a bit hard one way and saying, let's have this consent warning at the, the in front of movies or TV shows that show these issues. In part, we have to be prepared that it's like trigger warnings when people write posts or, or present stuff. We don't want to cause any further harm or trauma to people that may have been in a position where that's put them in you know, a position of harm, hurt, or or worse. The, the, the issue is when it's ambiguous. You know, I think most people can recognise mm. a lack of consent in, say, a brutal rape scene or, or yes. in, a, in a criminal sense. But there, is, there are these ambiguities in society and in television and in film, and it is difficult. And I don't know if this addresses it as the issue. I'm not saying they should do more or they shouldn't mm. have those ambiguities mm. in television, but... You know, life is nuanced, and so is this. Yeah, look, if they put the if they put the warning up, fine. I, I I have no problem with that whatsoever. Will it actually achieve anything? That's the question I'm asking. Rubbish, myself. Rob. You're already making up your placards to go and protest out the front of the. <laughs> All right, still to come, the Wayne Carey white powder scandal takes a stunning new twist. Nine names its new political editor after after the resignation of Chris Ullman. And we'll open the TV binge box to see what everyone's been watching before our group binge, The White Lotus. This is TV Black Box, the podcast. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. And now... It's time for Hatches and Dispatches. <laughs> he was once one of the most notable commentators in Seven's AFL coverage, but Wayne Carey is behind the mic no more. TV Blackbox can reveal that the network has parted ways with the football great and that his contract will not be renewed as the fallout continues from a white powder incident in a Perth casino. While officially the network is still saying it will wait for a West Australian police investigation to conclude, TV Blackbox understands the decision has already been made regarding Carey's future. The wife of sporting great Mario Fennick has revealed that most of his former colleagues on the NRL footy show have abandoned him in the years since he was diagnosed with early onset dementia. Fennec was a regular figure on the program, but wife Rebecca has opened up on the personal pain of him being relentlessly mocked and becoming the butt of jokes and pranks while on the show. She said the show continued to make fun of her husband, despite being fully aware of his devastating condition. Charles Croucher has been officially appointed to replace Chris Yulman as Nine's political editor. Yulman announced his plans to retire earlier this year, and it means Croucher will return to his roots, reporting out of Canberra. Congratulations, Charles. And Binge have made the decision to temporarily release the first episode of House of the Dragon for free on YouTube. It comes as the premiere smashed viewing records on Foxtel and Binge, 
with 1.235 million viewers watching within the first week of its release, and that only got larger in subsequent weeks. But the YouTube release is only available for a limited time until October 18th. And that is this week's Hatches and Dispatches. Back to you, Rob. Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you very much. Uh, okay, it's time to open the TV binge box. I don't know why I do have things I do, Mark. My don't goodness. look at me like that. Elvis. <laughs> Uh, Works for me. And <laughs> I'm an Elvis fan. Don't oh, Jim Tanya. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, oh, melt my heart, Rob. Oh. Uh, Tanya. Um, all right, it's time to find out what everyone's been watching. Let's go around the room. And uh, Tanya, we'll start with you. What have you been watching? Um, I love Animal Kingdom on Netflix. Ah. I, oh, my gosh. And uh, I love anything that's based or, you know, even has a hint that it might be based on a true story and a real-life story. <laughs> so I watch a lot of things like that. And Animal Kingdom, if you don't know it, it's, um, um, you know, it, it reminds me a little bit of like a George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Ocean's Eleven, but that kind of happens every single season on the show. So it's the Cody family um, and their mum has, who's known as Smurf, has raised all of her sons, stepsons, and the the nephew um, in the to be criminals. Ah. Um, and I love watching these mini Ocean's Elevens kind of things unfold, where they're planning their cons and their heists. Um, and the whole show, I think, it's about six seasons that are out now, is based loosely based on a Melbourne family, Melbourne crime family. Oh, okay, okay. allegedly. Also, <laughs> allegedly, thank you. Based on a- based on the Australian <laughs> film of the same name. Yes, exactly, and it is too. So I really enjoy um, Animal Kingdom. Okay, anything else on your list there, or is? Uh, yeah, no, there is Inventing Anna, another one based oh. on a bit of. It was so good in this now. Oh, did I ruin it? <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed Inventing Anna again. I think I like that whole kind of you know the con yeah. artist, the way that she cons her way into the the world's most luxurious brands, names, plan, you know, the whole city that she kind of won over, and that's. Some Something that I've recommended to so many people again on Netflix to watch and girlfriends saying watch this it's a great watch you'll really enjoy it and it uh, makes you realize that uh, she's a kind of you know clever person the one in real life it's oh, amazing isn't it? she, you know a little, little bit clever to someone you have to have you know I mean it's very wrong what she did but she's also her mind worked in a whole hmm. different way to yours and mine to be able to come up and continually just make up these stories on the spot to con some of the biggest people in the world mm. uh, this week I've cooked up a bit of dessert for TV binge box because is it cake uh, no it's a whole heaping it's a whole helping of humble pie I watched heartbreak high this week Excellent. And Glad despite my misgivings, I think it is the best Australian drama in years. This mm. is engaging. It's got a real great storyline. It's got heart. Yep. It's got likeable characters who are flawed. The writing is superb. The acting is brilliant. It's so well shot. Seriously, look, I have to say it. When this was first announced, I just thought it was going to be some woke piece of shit. And I went off on this podcast about. Oh, Rob, we can go back to the audio. We can play the tape. Play the tape. You know, it's still there. I went off about it. I thought this, uh, because my concern was that, okay, you bring Heartbreak High back, you've got a brand name, but all they talked about was the diversity. And I'm like, well, that's that's not a story. What is the story for this? Now, maybe I should have just held off until I saw it. That's fine. But the whole point of initial, no, Mark. 
Actually, I'm going to take that. I'm never going to hold off until I see it because <laughs> the whole point of marketing is to get yes. people in and to watch it. I appreciate and that, the Rob. way they announced it didn't give me enough details to make me think, oh, this might be worth it. The first promo did. I thought the first promo teaser was great mm. and it got me in. Um, and I've had the chance to watch it this week and I, it, it is really just everything. And what I like about it is I love seeing diversity on screen, but that's not the reason to have a show. I do. You, you okay. give me these yeah, looks like you think I'm, I'm some racist right-wing nut job. <laughs> I, I said nothing, Rob. Those words came out of your mouth. No, you said nothing, but you give me plenty of looks, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> So here's the thing. What the reason this works is because it is not a show about diversity. It is a show about a girl who goes through in school, everything's life-changing. This is a life-changing experience for her that changes her friend groups, puts her in a different light at school. Her actions have consequences that she's trying to deal with and the, the fact that she just happens to be uh, of an eth- ethnicity and people around her are gay or, les- uh, you know, lesbians, bisexual or, you know, the jocks or to have different um, ethnic backgrounds, none of that matters because they're all well-rounded characters. It's not like we're saying, okay, we're ticking off the Lebanese person, we're ticking off the gay person, we're ticking off this person. And the reason this works is because it feels, and, and maybe they did it the other way, but it doesn't feel like it. It feels like this is a drama driven by character and story not ticking boxes but they have ticked the boxes it's, it's really speaking great. of marketing you just sold me <laughs> <laughs> it's really great isn't it rob i was fortunate enough to yeah. watch the first three before it launched and it got like fully hooked i was in uh, i was hoping it would be good but uh, warning danger danger you know we as as you'd said rob there were some worries about some of the things that the australian netflix uh team had commissioned yeah, this I, I think has probably exceeded expectations, and I think along with all of the stuff you said, they've made it. If if I can say this generically enough, that it is Australian, but it will travel really well. Oh yeah, I, I think around the world, people, mm. young people especially, will watch this and identify with the characters, mm. identify with you know plot issues and narrative, and they'll they'll be completely drawn into it. Just that it's set around Maroubra and around you know that sort of area of Sydney. Fine. But the the stories they tell uh, look for young people timeless. I think it's really really good, and yeah. some of the performances in it are cracking. Oh, it, it's just really well done. And the other thing I love, it's not the same Australian actors I see mm-hmm. all the time in the same things. This is I, I I I can't pick any of them. Maybe they've done things in the past. Maybe they are famous, but I don't know them. And it just feels like a really fresh cast who are all brilliant at their craft. I love it. Fans of the original Heartbreak High TV series will maybe recognise a couple of former cast members that have popped up in it. I'm not going to spoil who, what, and where. Oh, you mean as the teachers? Oh, thanks, Rob. Um, <laughs> not not just the teachers. There's someone who holds actually a critical role in it that was a former cast member. Um, cool. So they pop back up in it, and I, I think that that was really good. But beyond that, I think all of the young people largely were unknowns to Australia. Um, mm. The adults, there's certainly um, actors that we've seen in other Yeah, sorry, before. I wasn't focusing on the adults. I was focusing on the kids, but I take sure. your point about the, the cast that have come back. The other one I watched was Uncoupled. Um, this is uh, Neil Patrick Harris doing oh, yes. a bit of a oh, comedy. Yeah. Uh, it's on Netflix as well, and 
it um it's okay. Uh, I've only watched uh, I've watched the first episode so far. I will go back for seconds, but I'm not sure I will get through it all. Uh, it's a little bit hit and miss to me. Uh, um, nice concept. Basically, the setup for this one is that these uh, this couple have been together for 17 years, and Neil Patrick Harris's boyfriend on what is his not Neil's. 50th birthday, but the partner's 50th birthday, he leaves. He's having a bit of a change of life. Uh, he feels like he's stuck in a rut and just leaves Neil Patrick Harris. And he Neil Patrick Harris just can't deal with this after 17 years and it's just out of nowhere and he hasn't seen it coming. So it's a good concept. I'm just not completely there yet. Anyway, uh, Matthew, what have you been watching? Um, oh, not too much. I've been dabbling with a bit of Queen coverage, you know, it's once in a lifetime event. A bit. Just, well, <laughs> I took that as a checking given. In. <laughs> just, just checking in because I haven't been watching a lot, but just checking in just to, you know, see what different networks are doing and, you know, just having a look. Um, the other one that I've been watching, it's a dark comedy animated series on Netflix. It's called Bojack Horseman and it is a world where animals and humans are like mm. alike they all talk and whatever so mm, yes. get, 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 get your head around that first fantastic show until it went woke i've only watched the first season and i've i've heard it actually gets better throughout the series so either this is a rob bad no, no, take or it or starts well gets great and then like a roller coaster it falls off a cliff well, just... That's what you want to hear when you're binging a show. That's <laughs> I look forward to you forming your own opinion on it, Matthew. Yes, yes. He doesn't need so to. I've given it to him. So far, so Spoken far, like I find it quite funny. Very, very subtly funny. Um, it, and for anyone that doesn't know the background, it is a horse who talks and what, like what have you, just like a human. Yeah, that's not who, a metaphor. Who, he actually used, is a horse. Yes, yes. He used to be a star on a television sitcom, I think, and it's just like 20 yes. years after. Yes. And his name is Mr. Ed. Mr. Ed. I no, was no. thinking it. In this world, he hosted a show called Horsing Around, I think yeah. it was. Well, he starred in the show, yeah. It was, it, was okay. like an, it was like a 70s, 80s sitcom, and now it's like 2010, 2020, 2014, I think it was first released. So it would be probably on point. Yeah, I, I find it quite good. We finished the first season. We'll get to season two. There's six seasons. Hopefully, we don't <laughs> fall off the track like Rob says. <laughs> All right, Philip, what have you been watching? Uh, what have I been watching? I've been watching American Gigolo on Stan, which um, choice. is a reimagining of the 1980s movie starring Richard Gere, which I actually don't remember very clearly. I just remember it being quite controversial at the time. I don't That's because it... of all the drugs, Philip. <laughs> you mean his or mine? <laughs> and the <laughs> sense. <laughs> I, don't, I actually don't think it was a very good film. It just got, it had a big box office and, a, and it got a lot of press. Um, this is actually a pretty good TV show, and mm. it's not so much the sex stuff or the gigolo stuff. It's more the crime story behind it. So that's what's hooked me in, and I'll definitely watch that again. And I've just uh, dipped my toe into the Handmaid's Tale Series 5. Yes. Um, it out. It's so good. It, look, I the lead, lead character... Um, who is the handmaid that of the tale? June. June um, Osborne. She's just, she's a really annoying character, but then she's gone through horrors, you know? Like, she's mm-hmm. that character you want to shake and say, why are you doing that? 
But I suppose that's just credit to to the acting and the script writing. It, it's really good. If you if you've if you've watched it before, you'll love this series as well. I'm sure. We'll put a warning at the beginning of that show. Lead character may uh, shit you to tears. <laughs> <laughs> it's really critical this this season because where we've seen June and and the the woman. Um, who was part of the oppression of June. Um, over the past couple of seasons, we've seen sort of the power shift, and now what we're seeing in this is almost the reverse again. And mm. and it's it's actually some really, really neat writing around that, that two-way power shift between those two and what it means for their characters in the context of the show. It's I'm just amazed at how good it is. Okay. I was I was a little bit worried about dipping in. That's probably why I wasn't aware that it was actually out for season five because mm. the storyline I felt had gone as far as it went. And then I was worried, what are they going to manufacture to try and keep this go for another season? Which is probably why I was hesitant, but you guys are speaking highly. So I will jump in. Rob, Rob I think it features like, you know, <laughs> Queensland, New South Wales, Gilead, Canada. No. Mm. Yep. I'm with you, <laughs> Phil. I understand. I got it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got I've got nothing for that. Uh, Mark, <laughs> there's there's the moment of it's taken how many Adam episodes of this podcast? Seven friend. seasons, and I finally <laughs> lost my words. Uh, Mark, what have you been watching? I'm, I'm going to to uh, to try and do my best to. I'll stick to just two networks tonight, Rob. Um, seven shows on each, but you can. No, I won't do that. Um, <laughs> look, I, I'm glad that Philip brought up the Handmaid's Tale because between that and the Good Fight on SBS, like the two. Oh, he manages to world- get another. World class dramas flying around. You should be checking out the I'll things I want to talk about tonight. Um, wait, bring it on. Um, <laughs> I'll throw you two on Disney Plus. Welcome to Wrexham, uh, which is yeah. the documentary show about Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds buying a fifth tier English football team uh, and just honestly pissing money up against a wall to help rebuild that that team uh, with the intention, their mission statement, which they lay out early in the first episode, they recognize that that kind of community benefits when their team does well. Like they get better when their team gets better, such as the, you know, that, that, that hand in hand relationship. And so they want to help get that team out of the the fifth tier and back up ideally into the premier league, of course. Um, And it's look, we're eight episodes in uh, to this first season and there's no Hollywood ending so far. They are literally <laughs> opening up just big buckets and pouring money down drains. It is what was that called? huge. It's, Welcome yeah, to Wrexham. Like, is this fake or real? Okay. It's very real. They oh, very much... Oh, um, oh, that sounds good to oh, watch. Yeah. Bring it down. It's very funny. good, Mark, because I've seen the promos and thought about watching that. Yeah, I highly Ooh, recommend about okay. half-hour episodes. They okay. drop in two a week, I think, at the moment. Um, mm. It's delightful. In fact, this most recent week, they dropped an episode that was called The Wide World of Wales and and gave people a little bit of an insight into, A, where Wales is, what Wales is about, how it came to be, what, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, and you hear lots of people speak Welsh, Um and it's very funny to watch. <laughs> wow, I'm sorry I opened that door. Um, I Is that racist? Us. You walked in there. Mate, I don't know what that was, but it was not worse. <laughs> That's um, the beauty. My accents are so bad I can't ever get in trouble because that was me trying to do a Bushman from Australia. Sure. Um, welcome to Wrexham on Disney+. Plus. 
Do it, do it, do it. It's probably hidden away on the star tile. If you can't find it or search for it, it'll pop up. It's it's one of their big titles. The other one I want to deliver is starting this week on Disney Plus is Star Wars Andor, their latest live action yes! series. I forgot um, to mention that one. It is a two-season <laughs> fixed, two-season run, 12 episodes per season. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to watch the first three episodes. Zero spoilers because I know what Rob will do to me if mm-hmm. I reveal anything. The basic plot is Cassian Andor, who is one of the main characters from Star Wars Rogue One, the film that is set just prior to A New Hope where they captured the Death Star plans. He was a part of that team and this is his story. This is how he comes to join the Rebellion. Um it is it's in the same way that the Mandalorian just do live action Star Wars so very well. They've managed to pull it off with this. It's yeah. just really, really great. It's enveloping. It looks good. The character development is phenomenal. Um, I cannot recommend it highly enough. And and this is one for me. I, I've been a huge Marvel fan and I've found my interest in that waning where my interest in the Star Wars stuff that's happening on Disney Plus has captured me far, far more. I am oh, way more entertained by the writing and the the development and the stuff that they've mm. got going there. So uh, welcome to Wrexham on Disney Plus and Star Wars Andor, which kicks off with a triple episode this week on Disney Plus. And can I just say a fond farewell to Sean McAuliffe's Mad as Hell? Yes, you can. Um, I've got to say, re Andor, one of the things I really liked that again was it's about character. Yeah, there's yeah. a few action scenes, but it is about character, character, character. And it is fantastic. Uh, All right, well, that is the end of the TV binge box, but let's move into our group binge, which this week was The White Lotus, as chosen by Matthew Simmons. Matthew, tell us about The White Lotus. Okay, the concept. Um, So The White Lotus itself is a massive resort in Hawaii and three different groups of, not families, because one of them's on their own, but three different groups of people go to Hawaii and have a holiday in this very luxurious resort that is the white lotus and yeah i feel like that (laughs) thank you for that insightful commentary matthew (laughs) and all that goes wrong when you go to a resort with high expectations slightly dodgy right slightly dodgy a little bit A little bit. I didn't know if we could be too spoilery. Look, for this one, uh, using a term from our friends at the Doctor Who Show podcast, I want to bring the spoiler curtain down because I want to talk about some specifics <gasps> specifically. So anybody... What, Rob? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm warning. Really? You can do spoilers really? if you warn people. Okay. All right? Tanya, Rob has a very strict spoilers policy. No spoiler. Okay. So everybody listening to this podcast, if you don't... If you don't want to know what happens in the White Lotus, the spoiler curtain is coming down. Yeah, okay. I'm no. It's only episode one that I want to talk about. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Sorry, super producer Abby sent me a note saying people were only watching episode one because I have binged the whole series. This is how much ah. I loved this series. I loved it. Right. So you really liked it, Rob? Seriously, completely in. I thought. Again, character. It's the word of the day. Mm. Character was brilliant. Casting. Um, the casting mm. was fantastic. The journey these people go on in the space of one episode, let alone what when you see it, the whole series. Um, the reason I wanted to bring the spoiler curtain down was because I wanted to talk about the opening scene, which is such uh, a great scene in so many ways because 
It's where he's at the airport and the, this couple that he doesn't know are talking to him. He mentions the fact there's a dead body on the plane and he's agitated. He doesn't want to talk. Now, the audience, we assume it's his wife because he's on his honeymoon in the coffin, I right? did, yes, I did. My issue with the scene is that pretty early on it becomes obvious when he says he was at that resort, there's a dead body, he's on his honeymoon, his wife's not there. Why would the couple ask him, oh, where's your wife? <laughs> the presumption is, you fuckers, she's in the coffin. <laughs> I didn't get that. I didn't know who was in the coffin. What? Really? You never thought no, of that? At the beginning, I thought I knew it would obviously be someone in the cast, but I had no idea that it'd be the wife. Because I guess because I overanalyze and I think, well, it's obviously yeah, not the yeah. wife. Maybe that's what I did. But I surely, it's, it. surely it's not that obvious. But, but even if it's it, not it can't the wife, be yes. in episode one. But let's say yeah. you guys are right, and I know the answer to that, right? Mm. But let's say you're right. The presumption of anyone mm. in that moment would imagine it could be his wife. Yes. He's yeah. agitated. He seems upset. Yes. He's at the resort where someone died. He knows the body is mm. on that flight. Don't ask him where the missing wife is from the honeymoon. Mm. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, I, I think it just can't be that obvious. Like, you've seen you've seen the full yes. season now, have you? I've, I've seen the full season, one, but two, these people that I he's talking to obvious. aren't watching a TV show. Theoretically, they're having a conversation with a guy who's really upset, mm. whose wife... Who from the honeymoon is missing and there's a dead body. Don't ask where she is. <laughs> <laughs> but apart from that one issue, I loved it. I do. I yes, well, I think that this could hook me in also after watching the first episode now. I love a good comedy drama, something that you can switch off at the end of the day. You know, mummy mode, switch off. Yeah. This is my kind of one hour to sit and have a laugh and just go out to an escape world. Um, I love that it's set in a beautiful Hawaiian resort yeah. because it just takes you off on this little fantasy and it shows you some of the culture there. But as you said, Rob, characters. I'm really liking the character setups in this first episode. I did find this first episode a smidge slow but then mm. I understand that they are setting up the characters I think that the hotel manager is going to be a great one to watch yeah, well <laughs> I'm thinking um oh my god I've gone what's his the famous comedian in the hotel I've gone completely Murray blank John British Cleese. no yes John Cleese I'm thinking I'm thinking <laughs> a little John Cleese yeah, yeah. do you know in some ways that's a bit wrong. of John Cleese about him um Sorry, please. It's a it's a it's a very good episode, a very good series. There are some mm. plot points that I think are a little obvious, like that opening scene that I have problems with, but I still loved it. I still loved it. Mark, what did you think? Um, I don't know if you can recall, Rob, but when this first aired, I think mm. I shared it as one of my binge box you did. episodes, the, the shows then. And I hated it. Did you now? I, I felt I felt at the time that the script was the cast were great, really well cast. The script was so underdone. Like this was a really? first draft script that they gave them to work on. That's what I thought then. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate that since then I've had time to ruminate. It's won a bajillion Emmys. Um, mm. You know, we've had the chance to uh, to to reconsider. I'm really glad that you all enjoyed it. <laughs> I hated it even more. Wow! I really? watched Did it you get again. through the first season, though? Did you get through the whole first season? Uh, when in the first instance, Tanya, yes, I, I watched yes. it, 
in the hope yes. that it would just get better, and and it didn't. For Train me, really. For um, mm. I, I hung in there and watched all of it. Maybe I'm soft in my old age. Well, look, I, 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 please, I'm not the authoritative, um, you know, take on this. I know that a whole bunch of people loved it, and that's awesome. Like, dive in, friends. Mm. I, I just did not connect with this at all. I thought, absolutely, again, the cast, great. The setting, wonderful. The idea, the premise, marvellous. The script, like a two-year-old wrote it. That's where I landed Ooh. with it. I just felt it was <laughs> totally... It. it needed at least three other looks, plus a punch-up, plus a writer's room thrown at it. <laughs> um, it was filmed during COVID. One of, I think one of the first shows that came out of America during COVID conditions being filmed. Uh, and the, the creator of the show admitted that I sat down and wrote it and we went and filmed it. And it looks mm. like well, it. that is how everything's made. Someone yeah, but no, 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 no. <laughs> but it's just I sat down and wrote it on Sunday, and Monday we turned up and filmed it. Like that's mm. the kind of vibe that it has to me. It's not awesome that you enjoy. It just didn't get any better for me the second time through. Like it, all I, I can just, say is, at the end of every, I, I binged this in one weekend because I was desperate to see the next episode sure. each and every time. Philip. You seem to be on Mulk's team with this one, though. Well, not necessarily, but I had a similar experience in that uh, I had a lot of friends recommend it to me, and some of them knew um, the lead, one of the lead actors, Murray Bartlett. Mm. And Great Aussie actor. Yeah, yeah, Great. he's a good actor. And Amund. I think, you know, when someone just shoves stuff at you and says it's the most amazing TV show, and then when you watch it, it's not. Well, that was my impression first time around, but I realise now I only watched 10 minutes of it and I thought, oh, this is going to be... Well, I just thought, no wonder you only watched the airport scene at well, the beginning. No wonder you hated the it. Airport scene. It was really the, the welcoming on the beach that I thought, this is just going to be one of those quirky, dinky, yep. annoying shows. Uh, that sounds, sounds like now, an episode of TV Black Box. Well, I've now watched one... Well, <laughs> Who knows? That's why you don't listen to the first 10 minutes of this podcast. I've watched one and a half episodes. That's where we talk to Tanya. Hang on. What's your mouth After that, the first 10 topics. Let's get Philip back into this conversation. Well, no, I'm going to disagree with Malt because I'm one and a half episodes into it now. I definitely want to keep watching it. Great. I am quite intrigued with the story. I do get that you could criticise certain things. Um uh, one of them wouldn't be Jennifer Coolidge, and I just think American mm. Pie when I see that woman. She's that, lovely. I'm not mm. sure she's Stifler's essentially mom. different. I, I, that's one of the intrigues for me. I think, are you still that sort of character in this? I don't know. Who's your favourite character, though, Koshy? Who, who who's your favourite if you're now looking at second time over? Uh, who's your I'm pretty character intrigued by those fucked-up teenage girls smoking drugs and stuff. <laughs> Oh, right. Well, you know what I mean? I think they're going to be evil or something. Yeah, yeah. I just the, the ones with the attitude. I wonder whether yeah, they the killed the woman in the box. I don't mm. know. I think at some mm. point a demon actually spawns out of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a bit of a mystery because there is a dead body. Who is the dead body? And mm. what, were they killed? Did they die of natural causes? Was it something else? Along the way, there'll be many red herrings. And I look forward to hearing your responses when you find out. But, Phil, what are we watching this week for next week's edition of The Group Binge? Uh, um, you might not have caught up with my message, Rob. I can't do this podcast next week, so I don't think I should choose your group binge. <laughs> <laughs> and the good news is neither can I. So it's now down to you, mate. <sighs> I'm probably available for you. Lose two. Tanya makes a triumphant return. Yay! Group group hug. Sorry, you know what, guys? 
Happy to lose you. Tanya, you're on. You're hired. <laughs> they don't pay very well, Tanya. I'll warn you now. Um, Tanya, do you have anything we could watch next week? We are a well-tuned machine oh, I can here. recommend what? something if you want. Go um, on, go on. Yeah, give us something, Phil. We'll we'll judge you without you. Uh, I've watched a show called Sherwood, which is on Foxtel and I think Binge, a uh, uh, British sort of intriguing sort of crimey drama series. Well, not really, no. It's called Sherwood. Yeah, it's called Sherwood. I imagine it's Robin Hood related. <laughs> not really, no. You're not saying no, though. <laughs> Would you like me to suggest instead? <laughs> wow. Tanya's got like 100 Bollywood no, films we could watch. <laughs> Actually, Indian you know matchmaker. what? Tanya, if you, yes. if you are going to come back next week, and yeah, I'm keeping it. all this in, so you'll no, have okay. to, <laughs> give us uh, one of your films that we should watch and we I'd will make to. that our group binge. I would love to. I've got the most perfect one, and it's it was all filmed in Australia and in Melbourne, in fact, and it's one of the great success stories of a Bollywood film. So I would love to suggest that. It's called Salam Namaste. Salam I'll Namaste. Spell it for you. Is it on yeah. a, a platform we can all see it, or are you going to have oh, to send us copies? No, I'm sure. Oh, gee. I'll have to get back to you on that one. I think it's on a platform, but I haven't actually looked because I have my own copy. <laughs> Sorry? I was in it. Oh, it's on Amazon Prime Video, I've just been told. So, Perfect. Uh, well, interestingly, Rob, also SBS do replay it very frequently here because it has been such a great success story of a Bollywood movie and then filmed in Australia. So that's good to know that it's on Amazon. Well, Tanya, I know people at SBS listen to this podcast, so maybe they could do a program an amendment this week <laughs> and get it on before next week's episode so that all the TV black box people can watch it. But it is on Amazon Prime Video. What is it called again, Tanya? Salam Namaste. Salam which Namaste. Which is like, like a double hello. Salam yep. Namaste. That is our group binge for next week. And that brings us to the end of TV mm-hmm. Black Box for another week. Tanya, you have been a delight. I can't wait Thank to see you, you next week. Thank you for having me. Thanks, guys. She's gonna, <laughs> I'll be You know here. what this is like? This is like that moment where you say, oh, yeah, let's meet up again. And then when she walks away, she's going to go, what the hell did I agree to that for? <laughs> will she turn up or will we be revealed like on the next romance. episode of TV Black Box? Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Mog. Thank you, Philip. Uh, for all the latest on what's happening in the industry, go where people in the industry get their news. TVBlackBox.com.au. We'll see you next week with Tanya Zayeta, special guest again. She's like oh, yeah. Ella Locklear, special guest each week. Salam <laughs> Nasty. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.